0: You are listening to the Sermon Podcast at Bethel. We're an evangelical covenant church located in western Wisconsin outside of Ellsworth, and you can find out more about us on our website, BethelCov.org. My name is Todd Speaker. I'm the pastor here, and thank you for listening. All right. Well, if you would open in your Bibles to Acts chapter 2, and we're looking at uh, just the very beginning of Acts, chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. <clears throat> it's funny because uh, this was the uh, passage that I think Braden shared on uh, just a few few weeks ago, kind of the later, later part of that. But <clears throat> at Bethel, we've been walking through, we just started walking through the book of Acts together. Um, and this, this part of Acts and the beginning of Acts is especially interesting because just like for our confirmands and our graduates, um, the disciples are standing at the end of one thing and the beginning of something else. Uh, so for, uh, for, the, for the guys uh, that we're going to hear about in just a moment, um, they just did something that they probably thought was the most important thing of their life, probably the biggest work of their life, something that was very difficult and they were at the end of, and that was following, following Jesus. They walked behind Jesus for three years, um, watched him Uh, crucified and killed, watched him rise from the dead and they were sitting at the end of something and then uh, at the very beginning of Acts, Jesus actually leaves. He ascends into heaven and leaves all of them behind on earth wondering what's next, uh, what's coming up. Um, Something is over, those three years following right behind Jesus, the three years with a plan and something new is starting. And that's outlined in the book of Acts. And so up until this point, uh, Jesus has ascended into heaven and he gave them uh, really one, one command. He said, wait for the spirit. Um, and then uh, you have a, have a mission. You have something, something's coming. But for now, they've been waiting. And our, our text comes right at the end of, of waiting. And so as we, uh, we do a confirmation, at Bethel, confirmation is a two-year a two-year program, and you'll notice our our students when they come forward for the last two years, we've met regularly, they've read through um, a lot of the Old Testament, all of the New Testament, uh, we study the, the story of Jesus together, the history of our church and the denomination, what we believe, uh, they've asked really good questions, uh, and some really crazy questions, and I'll let you imagine who asked the craziest questions in our uh, in our confirmation class, we, um, <clears throat> we study together, we chat together, we pray together, we serve together. Um, and the whole point of that, I, I don't know if you know this, but uh, the point of, of confirmation is to give our young people a, a moment, an opportunity to um, claim faith for themselves. Um, uh, the, the word confirm um, in churches that baptize infants, um, when you baptize a baby, uh, the church makes promises to them. Uh, The parents make promises to raise the child up in the church, Um, and it rests on God's promises to us and his grace. But if you've ever baptized a a little baby, you know that the baby is not capable of making promises themselves, right? They're not capable of, of saying, yes, I accept Jesus and what he's done for me. Well, Confirmation is is meant to be an opportunity for those uh, kids, if they were either dedicated as as babies or if they were baptized, to confirm uh, to confirm that faith for themselves. Uh, it's their chance to sort of make um, the promises that they didn't get to make when they were little babies being baptized. And so it's sort of the end uh, and the, the intention really is that confirmation is is that moment when. Your faith, um, it's an opportunity for your faith to be less about following the path laid out by your parents and more about your own relationship with Christ and the Holy Spirit. Um, And so, of course, um, personal conversion, right, that can happen at any time in a child's life. Uh, But but confirmation is is one opportunity for that. And so you'll notice in the service in just a few moments when we start, uh, our four students, they're going to stand up here. Uh, they're going to confess uh, publicly uh, faith in Jesus. And then they're going to kneel down there on the floor and we're going to pray over them. And And just like um, one at a time and just like graduation, um, our prayer on Confirmation Sunday is that this isn't the end of their relationship with Jesus. This isn't the finish line of faith. But instead, the beginning of a new um, of faith, a new phase in a life of faith, one where just like the disciples are no longer following in Jesus's literal footsteps, um, our, our students are no longer um, just following in the footsteps of mom and dad's faith or grandma's faith, um, but instead being empowered by the Holy Spirit and living a, a, out of their relationship with Jesus, their own relationship with Christ, um, and going wherever. God takes them. And so, all of us today on on confirmation and graduation and and Pentecost Sunday, our our grads and and confirmation students are standing at the end of something and at the beginning of something else. It's that key turning point. And the disciples, right there, in the very, very similar place uh, as, as our students. So, we'll take a look. Our disciples have been waiting. Something big is over, and they have no clue what's about to happen. All they know is they need to wait for the Spirit. Uh, And the Spirit's going to give them power, it says. But you can go to the the next slide there, John. Um, Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. It says this. On the day of Pentecost, now Pentecost was a a Hebrew festival, a Jewish festival that brought everybody into Jerusalem. That's where that name uh, comes from. Um, They were all gathered together. All these followers of Jesus, they were gathered together in one place. And it says, Suddenly, A sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them to do. And so in this moment, in that building, there's... Uh, wind and and fire and a miracle, right? They're, how they're speaking. Um, and and it's really interesting um, if you've never, and if you've never heard this story before, many of us have and maybe even if you have, it seems kind of strange. Like what is going on with this? Why are there flames of fire? Why is there wind blowing? Like what does this have to do with, with God and the Holy Spirit? Um, but if you, if you believe the Bible, this moment in chapter 2 um, is something that um, really should just blow everybody's mind. Um, it, it's saying something uh, is happening in that house, in that moment for those disciples that has, has never happened in all of, of Scripture before uh, because the Holy Spirit uh, it, it doesn't show up for the very first time in, in Acts, uh, the Holy Spirit actually shows up a bunch of times in the Old Testament. And so to give us an idea of, of what it means that there's a flame of fire hovering over someone's head, I wanted to take a quick tour with you guys to see um, to see how the Holy Spirit uh, is in the rest of your Bible. So you can turn with me if you want, but it's, it's going to be quick. So it starts actually... The first place we see the Spirit shows up on the very first page and the very second verse of of the Bible. It says this in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. You've probably heard this one before. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You know, that that classic first line. Well, line 2 goes like this. So God created the heavens and the earth. It says, now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Uh, So our Bible tells us that in the beginning, after God created existence, it says the Spirit of God is hovering over the waters. And so for that, I included a picture of of that bird over the water, because in in Hebrew... The the kind of word that they use for hovering, you know, they didn't have helicopters that hover, they had had birds. And so you can imagine, um, this is the picture that's painted in Genesis 1. The very first page of the Bible, when everything was made, God's spirit was there, hovering, flying over the waters like a bird. Um, So the very first page, and, and as you read the rest of Genesis 1... Uh, as God uh, calls uh, matter into existence and separates light from day and creates the animals and the earth and the land and the people, uh, we believe that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is involved in that creation in a very real way. It's, it's hovering over the waters. Uh, the next time this shows up, and it actually shows up uh, all over the Old Testament, the next time you ever hear anything about God's Spirit... Uh, is when it's mentioned that Joshua, uh, where's Joshua right there, um, <clears throat> the first Bible story Josh shared for confirmation here at church was out of the book of Joshua, because he was like, why wouldn't I start with my name, right? Um, <clears throat> so, so Joshua is said to have the spirit of leadership over him. And actually, all over the Old Testament, you see uh, this image of God's spirit hovering over over people, like, like a bird. So the first time, uh, it hovers over this guy named Joshua. And if you know Joshua, he's in charge of leading God's people after Moses dies and, and taking over and starting a, a nation in the Promised Land. So that's the second time you see the Spirit. Uh, you see the Spirit again and again in the Old Testament book of Judges. And if you've ever read Judges, it's sort of like the... Um, like the Marvel Cinematic Universe of the Bible. It's it's all of these special heroes that are set aside by God to to save the people. Uh, So they get, like, super strength, like Samson's one of the judges, you ever hear of him, or they get uh, super wisdom, and and each of the people in Judges that God calls to save Israel from this, like, really bad crisis, one at a time, uh, it says that the Spirit... Uh, anoints them, hovers over them in in judges. So, so so far, what does the Holy Spirit do? It hovers over creation, it's active in making everything, and it also empowers people. And in the Old Testament, this only happens in in one way. So, it it empowers Joshua for a time, it empowers the judges for a time. Later on, uh, King Saul, uh, it talks about God's Spirit departing him, and that means that that uh, the Spirit hovered over King Saul for a while, so there you go, a special special person. Uh, the Spirit also, it hovers over the prophets. And if you know the Old Testament, prophets are, are not so much fortune tellers about the future, they're sort of chosen people, uh, designed and chosen by God to bring a very unpopular message <laughs> to Israel. And so God gives them the power uh, to see reality and predict what's going to happen. The prophets are said to have the Spirit hovering over them. So if you read the Old Testament, like Jesus did and his disciples did growing up, you understand that the Spirit, God's Spirit, uh, does a few things. One, it's active in creation. And two, um, it it's active in choosing a, a special person for like a special moment in history. Okay, so one-of-a-kind moments, how are we going to take over the promised land, right? One-of-a-kind moments, what are we going to do about this uh, enemy people that's enslaving us again? Well, God's Spirit, you know, chooses one person to do something amazing, and and God's Spirit makes it possible. Well, the next time we see uh, God's Spirit show up is in the book of of Luke. This is one of the next times. Uh, Luke chapter 3 Verse 21 through 22. Uh, John, this guy John, is baptizing people in the Jordan River. And it says, when all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And it says, and a voice came from heaven and said, you are my son whom I love with you I am well pleased. Um, so if you'll notice that same image, right? The same uh, way that the spirit hovers over the waters, the spirit hovers over kings and prophets and special people for special moments in history, that same spirit hovers over Jesus. And the people that, that wrote the Bible, the people that believe the Bible, believe that um, that spirit is what makes it possible uh, it makes creation possible. It's that spirit that makes prophecy and, and good leading and the supernatural judges possible. And we actually believe that that same Holy Spirit is active in, in Jesus' miracles, in his healings, in his teachings, in the amazing things that happen, that same spirit. So so if you if you've read the Gospels and you've read the Old Testament, this is how you understand how God's spirit works, right? God's spirit chooses a special person, for a special time to do a special thing. But now let's take a look at Acts again, right? At Pentecost. What does it say? It says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, and suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind, and by the way, the the Hebrew and and Greek words for spirit uh, can translate to wind and breath, so a big wind blows in the house. It fills the whole house where they were sitting, And they, all of Jesus' disciples gathered, they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And it says something that that the Bible doesn't say anywhere before this moment. This never happens uh, anywhere before this moment. It says, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Do you see What's going on here? If the Spirit is uniquely active in creation, if the Spirit is the one that chooses prophets and priests and kings and helps them lead well, if the Spirit is what empowers Jesus' miracles, what does it say that the Spirit is now resting on all of them? Uh, It's significant. It says that God's spirit, his presence, his leadership, his guidance, his gifts are now not just for one special person to do a special job at a special time, but for all people who follow Jesus. And, And if you stick with us this summer and you read Acts, you'll notice that that's what Acts is all about. Acts is all about what happens if instead of God choosing one special person for a special thing in a special time in a special place, what if he chose everyone? What would happen to the world, everyone who followed him? Uh, Because what happens on Pentecost, that same spirit that powered creation, that same spirit that warned the people of Israel and empowered prophets and kings, that same spirit that rested on Jesus and powered his miracles is poured out on everyone in Acts Two, And if you believe what, uh, what scripture says, if you believe Acts 2, the reason why we even come together and worship God today in a church thousands of years later is because God poured out his spirit on people. And that same spirit, that same power, read the rest of the book, was far more amazing than all, any of us could ask or imagine. It was, it was far bigger than any prayer that those disciples could have prayed, it's far bigger than anything that an author could have imagined. It changed, it changed the world. And, and when I read about that spirit, that same spirit that empowered Jesus and the disciples and that is available to us if we have faith in Christ by God's grace, when I think about that spirit, I can't help but wonder if my prayers are are small (laughs) compared to what God can do. Uh, I can't help but wonder if my problem isn't that I'm asking God for too much transformation and change in the world, but maybe not enough, right? Because if the very same power that's active in creation and in the in Every page of the Bible is available to all of us that ought to change the things that we think God is capable of and the things that we think we're capable of if we follow God. Uh, last week um, after church, I was talking to a, a member of this, this church, and they told me about a, a dream, like an imagination they were having uh, that, that morning. Uh, and, and this person uh, told me uh, that they had this dream about a, a little girl uh, pulling a little red wagon, you know, like a radio flyer wagon, and, and she told me that um, this little girl was her, and the little girl was pulling this wagon down the road, and, and she wanted to, to fill it up with, with power. Uh, this little girl needed help with something, and, and so she had her wagon, and she was taking it in this dream uh, to go get, get enough, get enough power to, to solve the problem, to do something about whatever the issue was. Uh, and you can put that next slide up there because it's got a nice picture of a radio flyer wagon on there. And she said, and she said in the dream, uh, as she's pulling this wagon uh, down the road looking for power, she comes upon a like power substation. <laughs> and and in the dream, you know, it, it's it's like sort of broken. There's like lightning bolts like flinging all over the place, like so much electricity, so much power. And as she's standing there in the dream with the wagon, she's thinking. I don't think this wagon (laughs) is going to be enough for the power that I need to carry. And and the story has just been kicking around in my brain all week because I think so often myself and and all of us, we we bring a a wagon full of our prayer requests. We bring a wagon full of what we're hoping uh, we can get from God or we think, if I can only just survive this day, if I can only just get past this difficult thing, uh, when God actually has has a substation waiting for us. We're, we're desperate at times, I know I am at times, desperate for God to give me just enough to get through the moment. Well, we kind of want, I want God to drop like a, like a car battery's worth of power in, in my wagon so I can go home and get through the day. But, but look, at, look at Acts 2, <laughs> Look at the rest of Acts because the same spirit that led kings and prophets and changed thousands of lives, the same spirit that brought people back from the dead, that same spirit is poured out on all believers. And I don't know about you, but that doesn't sound like car battery power to me. That sounds like something bigger than that. That sounds like a God that can change our lives in our world in a way that I simply am incapable of imagining. Amen? Amen. I think sometimes we want a God who has, like, enough grace to, like, turn a blind eye from our mistakes and and sin. We kind of want, like, a wagon full of grace. Sometimes uh, maybe we want, like, a pail full of love from God or a glass of his power, just enough to solve today's problems, to get through. But that is not the invitation of scripture. Uh, That's not what God is offering. He's not offering a glass of grace for us. He's not offering to look the other way. In fact, he's offering the substation. He's offering the same wind that pushes ships and sustains trade. He's offering us grace and forgiveness that is so unimaginable, there is no problem that God can't solve with it. He's offering us love that is so wide and that extends to so many that we want to say, Lord, that is too much love. He's offering us transformation in our lives, in our relationships, in our communities that is not a small, manageable change, but a 180 degree transformation, making our old selves seem like foreigners to who we are now. And I encourage you, I challenge you, I invite you, if you stick with us this summer in Acts, you'll notice uh, what God's Spirit is capable of. And I believe that if we open ourselves up to that God, that Spirit, and God's unimaginable grace because of the sacrifice and resurrection of Jesus, that we will see unimaginable change in our relationships, in our church. That will be given unimaginable freedom, grace, power, transformation, and life. And maybe um, you've accepted less than that uh, before at a church, you know. Um, maybe you think uh, the gospel's all about, um, you know, doing what you need to do to make sure God is okay with you and trying to avoid the stuff that's, that's you know, not, not the worst kind of stuff. And maybe God will sort of let let things slide. Um, but, But God, he wants more for us than that. He wants more for me than that, and he wants more for you than that. We are invited to confess everything about us that falls short. We're invited to embrace our failure, our weakness, and our brokenness, and accept God's grace, his forgiveness, and his strength that is far better than whatever it is that we can gin up On our own, because God has pursued you since before you were born. We have a God who follows after us with his grace, drawing us in to save us, who's followed us before we could have possibly imagined following him. And we're invited to simply look at the God of that substation, that spirit, and say, Yes, Lord, I accept, give me what you have for me. And you'll find that your life is transformed. You'll find that you have resurrection to look forward to. You'll find that not only will someday you go to heaven when you die, that God will bring heaven into your relationships, your communities, and your families. And so today, as our students uh, stand up here in just a minute, and they confirm their faith as they recite the creed that uh, Christians have said for 2,000 years, and you recite it with them as they share a little snippet of their own faith story, as they claim formally before God and this church the faith that they were born into uh, as their own, Uh, we'll finish our service by praying a blessing over them. And, and we'll, it'll be really fun. I'll invite, uh, you know, this time probably, normally we just have the whole crowd up here and, and maybe there'll be some of that. But we'll invite their families and their friends and whoever they've talked to to come lay hands on them. And, and you out in the pews, I'll have you hold your, your hands out and we're going to pray for them. And as we do, we're going to pray that God would fill them up with that same spirit in Acts 2. That same presence... And that the same God who hovered over creation, kings, and Jesus himself would fill them up and fill up all who accept Christ. That's, that's what we're doing. That's what Pentecost is about. That's what that banner means when it says, catch the spirit. It's dangerous to pray that. Because when we do, this, when the spirit shows up, it's always bigger than we imagine, but it is good. Amen? Amen. Amen. Pray with me. Lord, so often we want to settle for a little of you, a little of your spirit, a little of your presence, a little of your grace, a little of your help. But we know that you want more than that for us. And so we confess to you our failures. We admit we don't have the strength it takes to be who you've made us to be. We put our faith in your son who died and rose again and we ask that your spirit would fill us up and make us new. For us, Lord, and these students, we we don't want to have a little of your life or your grace or your hope or your power or your love. Lord, we want the spirit that fills us up like a substation. We thank you that you are a God who does that and we ask God, that you prepare us and our imaginations for what you could possibly do in this church, in this community, in this world, through people filled up by your spirit. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for joining us. You can find out more about our church, our live stream, and our in-person services at BethelCove.org. Thanks and have a great week.